Okay, welcome everyone. I'm Jeremy Simon with 3D Universe, and I'm very pleased to welcome you to uh, this episode of 3D Universe Untethered. This is episode four. Today's topic is how 350 makers with 600 3D printers created 66,000 PPE in six months through Portland's Maker Force. So I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, as, as many of you with 3D printers, I've been very much involved in this uh, effort to help produce PPE. And this is a great story that I look forward to hearing more about. I want to invite those who are listening in to use the Q&A panel throughout this session. Feel free to ask questions and uh, we'll be sure to get to those either during our discussion or towards the end. Uh, but please do uh, share your thoughts and questions using that Q&A panel whenever you like. Uh, with that, I am going to go ahead and introduce our uh, speakers for today. So I want to invite uh, my co-host, Jen Owen, and uh, as well as our speakers, Shashi Jane and Connor Weller, to go ahead and turn on your video and audio. Join me on screen here. So most of you know Jen by now. Jen is creative director with 3D Universe. She's also co-founder of the Enable Volunteer Community, which we'll hear some more about today. It's relevant to our discussion. And uh, we also have today Shashi Jane. Shashi is a co-founder of MakerForce. His day job is strategic innovation manager at Intel, where he builds new products and internal startups in the areas of IoT, that's Internet of Things, machine learning, and 3D printing. Shashi brings a diverse skill set and 20 years of experience in business development, engineering, integration, rapid prototyping, and community building to his work. Shashi gives back to the community as Global Education Director for Thai Young Entrepreneurs Oregon, a program that teaches entrepreneurship skills and innovation methods to high school students. He's an early member of the Enable community, delivering 3D printed prosthetic limbs, and currently works with Eagle Scouts on uh, growing access to this technology. Shashi is also the founder of the Portland 3D Printing Lab, a community of over 2,000 3D printing enthusiasts in Portland, Oregon. Glad you could join us, Shashi. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Of course. We also have Connor Weller with us today. Connor is a co-founder of MakerForce, nonprofit organization started to fight the global PPE crisis. To this date, MakerForce has produced well over 60,000 pieces of PPE. Connor is a college student and a small business owner who sells Washington State University themed products through his website at, uh, help me out with the pronunciation here, is it Kogki? Kogki. Kogki, C-O-U-G-K-I-E.com. And is in the process of developing new products under his brand Baseline Design, which is baselinedesign.co, that will serve a much larger audience. The experience he gained 3D printing products in mass for these businesses proved extremely helpful when it came to organizing others to form MakerForce. Connor, welcome, glad you could join us. Thank you. So with that, we'll go ahead and get our discussion started. Jen, you wanna start us off here? Yeah, um, it's great to have you guys uh, with us today. Thank you for joining us. Um, first of all, I would really like to ask both of you how you got started in 3D printing in the first place. So Shashi, you wanna go first? Yeah, certainly. Um, so I had gotten into 3D printing. I'd been aware of it uh, since like the early 2000s. Uh, you know, I was uh, just starting my career at Intel. I was in this little internal startup that was making um, you know, something with like an amazing screen and oh, you know, Wi-Fi and a 3G radio. It sounded like an iPhone, but it was like, <laughs> many years before there was an iPhone, um, a little too early and whatnot. But what's, what's, what's amazing is that we would build these devices and we would turn them around in, in a few days. And I came to know that 3D printing was used to make the shells for these things. And uh, I got to know a lot more about that process. I was super fascinated by it. And I learned that it's actually a fairly old technology for rapid prototyping having been started in the early 80s. And then um, fast forward a few years later, I had left Intel to, uh, you know, for a short amount of time and I was looking to start a business and I, I remember 3D printing and uh, I was like, I'm gonna do something with 3D printing. I'm not sure what it is. And it kind of ballooned into what it is today. So that's how I got started. That's awesome. Connor? Yeah, so I've, I've been interested in 3D printing ever since I, I learned about it. Um, but I started working with it 
when I moved to Eugene, Oregon, I joined one of the makerspaces there, I believe it's Eugene Makerspace, and they had a MakerBot cupcake that, <laughs> you know, not the best prints, not the fastest prints, but it was just, it was cool. <laughs> that was the first time I was actually got to see a 3D printer, and I just go and I I pull files off Thingiverse, and I'd hit print, and I just watch it. You know that like that first phase when you start 3D printing, you just you just can't get enough of it. it doesn't matter what what you're printing as long as you're printing something. Um, so that's that's where it first started, and I think that was like seventh grade for me. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And then when I I moved again to Vancouver, Washington, and my new high school, Skyview High School, had a 3D printer. And again, I was just fascinated with it. You know, it's a 3D printer. This is crazy. My school has one. So I, I just kind of ran with that. And I, I learned to design um, through high school and was able to use the 3D printer to make different tools and devices. And then my, my junior year of high school, I bought a uh, Delta style 3D printer for like 300 bucks. It's garbage. <laughs> uh, but I got to print. <laughs> and I got to print well enough that I was able to get on 3D hubs, uh, get some profit back from it. And then I eventually bought a Prusa Mark II. And it was like the, it was a really big accomplishment for me because I, you know, I had the professional 3D printer. <laughs> and I continued using that one uh, on 3D hubs and through other different places to try and uh, make a profit off it. And then my freshman year of college, I had that same Prusa printer and I made this WSU cookie cutter for my mom. and. She apparently loved it, and she shared it to one of the WSU Facebook groups, and they all loved it. So I got started getting a bunch of requests for it. Mm -hmm. Some more printers keep up with it, and I've just kind of been, you know, I've grown this little print farm and using it to produce different products since then. It's been a ton of fun. <laughs> That's cool. Nice. So yeah, both of you clearly are are veterans of three D printing, and uh, as we all know, there's a lot you can do with these with these machines. So uh, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that next. What what are some of the kinds of things that you guys have both done with 3D printing? What are some of the projects that you've done that maybe kind of led you to what you're involved in now? Maybe again, starting with you, Shashi. Sure, certainly. You know, I think uh, everyone has gone through their phases of printing trinkets and vases and things like that. Um, you know, that's largely how I got started. For me, it was, the, it was making little tardises. Uh, that I had uh, a whole uh, drawer full of those at one time. And I actually started with stereolithography printing and then got my first MakerBot, which turned into the second, which eventually led to having 14 printers in the house. Um, so uh, what do you do with those things? Well, you know, I've, I was also on 3D hubs like Connor was and uh, doing engineering prints for uh, local startups and teaching other startups how to use 3D printing. Um, but, you know, most I'm really most proud of the things that we did with uh, as a Portland 3D printing lab. So, as you mentioned, I run a community of 2000 enthusiasts here in Portland. Shout out to some of them. I see them in the, in the audience here. Um, and over the years, we've done uh, group projects together. Uh, some of them, you know, just seeing if we could, like one time we built uh, one side of uh, like half of a cow. It was four feet tall, eight feet long. And it was a hundred pieces that we stitched together and we really learned how to build um, big models. Sometimes uh, we do art pieces, like we were in the Portland Art Museum where we were building um, art exhibits that could be companions to uh, ones that are already in the museum, but they could be touched and they, they could be carried around by, by patrons. So it gave people like a, a tactile uh, feeling of what could be done with art. Uh, and then, you know, I've also worked with uh, a local um, fashion accelerator, fashion tech accelerator called Fashion Next on, uh, you know, helping, um, you know, look at the intersection of Internet of Things and fashion and 3D printing. So as an example, we, you know, we had brought in a company called Feats that was 3D printing shoes. And we were looking at embedding 3D prints and materials. So just uh, a wide variety of those types of projects, you know, besides MakerForce, which is probably the biggest thing that we've we've done, uh, what's on my printers right now is actually rockets. So I have a 3D printer that uh, can print six feet tall. And uh, I'm, uh, you know, printing uh, SpaceX and Blue Origin and all, all kinds of things just because. That's awesome. Terrific. How about you, Connor? 
Sorry, what was that question again? I got a... Just uh, kinds of projects you've been involved with in 3D printing. What kinds of things have, have you done that, that led you to what you're involved with now? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, first, you know, in high school, I was in first robotics and that completely changed my life. I'm so grateful for that program. Um, and through that program, I learned how to CAD, how to design and all that different things. And I, I kind of learned how to use 3D printing as a tool for making very specific parts and then how to design for it, because there's certain characteristics you have to keep in mind when 3D printing. You, know, you have to have certain overhangs, you have to have so much bed area. If you're using the support material, there's certain ways to use it where it makes it easy to use, um, you know, layer lines, all that kind of stuff. So I kind of you learned how to design for 3D printing in high school. Um, and then later on, when I started my cookie cutter business, um, I got kind of the, the production feel of uh, 3D printing. You know, at the, at the time when I first started, I had my one Prusa 3D printer sitting on my cabinet in my dorm room and <laughs> running nonstop trying to keep up and ended up getting some more printers for that. And, uh, you know, churning parts on those machines was very much like what we were all doing um, for making the, the actual face shield. You know, if you're printing a PETG, there's certain things you need to do if you're printing on mass that, you, that way you don't ruin your bed, uh, stuff like that. So kind of designing for that and how to run it in mass really, really tied into Maker Force and allowed that to work. That's really cool. Um, Shashi, I have had the privilege of visiting your um, Portland Maker Lab um, back, geez, when uh, Enable first started, you invited me down and I believe I got to see the cow. Um, how did you, um, found that? How did you um, just decide to start this group? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And Jen, that was, that was what, 2015, I think? I think so. Yeah, right yeah. when Enable started. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you know, I had mentioned that I got into 3D printing when I built my own 3D printing startup. It's called Matter Compilers. And for any geeks uh, out there, science fiction geeks, that's straight out of Neil Stevenson and the Diamond Age. Um, but we, uh, what I'd noticed is when I was talked about 3D printing to uh, people, you know, and I was talking about the business, they would get uh, really excited. They'd be like, well, you know, you're doing, this is something really cool. You know, there's, is there any community or, or uh, you know, any places where we can go and do this? And, you know, there were some maker spaces around and I was going to all these different places like internet of things, groups, startup groups, all this stuff. And I would talk to two or three people at it, at every one of them. So I was like, oh, you know what, why don't we do our own meetup? And this was in December of 13. So it's been a while. And as when I noticed, uh, when I put the, the meetup out there, I was like, okay, we'll get 20 people and, you know, maybe we'll, we'll have a good time, have some pizza or something. And uh, within the first uh, few hours, we had a, actually maybe first few days, we had 100 people sign up. Wow. And by the time we had our first meetup on the books in January 14, of 2014, there was a couple hundred people and 120 of them showed up on that first meetup. It was, it was amazing. And so we established like we'd have networking speakers, then networking. And uh, we would talk about what's state of the art in that month and what's happening, what's, uh, you know, what are interesting projects that were happening in our community. And then the, the discussion came to, um, in, instead of just talking about 3D printing, we were like, what can we do as a group? What, what are the projects? Hence those things I was talking about before that uh, how do we get the whole group working on projects? So that put us in a really good position uh, as a community to be able to respond to the PPE pandemic, you know, as I'll, I'll talk about in a bit. But uh, it really came together out of this um, geeky love of 3D printing and a technology that was really nascent at the time. That's really cool. Um, Connor, how did you and Shashi meet? Um, were you part of the Portland uh, 3D printing lab or did you just kind of run into each other somehow? So it was to the Portland 3D printing lab, but I didn't really participate too much with the group. I, I joined the Facebook group. Um, that was mostly so I could answer some questions if any had them or track down parts if something broke, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Be part of the community. That way, if anything happens, I'm good. <laughs> 
Um, but by the time I joined the group, I was kind of out of my like tinkering phase with 3D printing. And at that point, I was just using 3D printing as a tool. Uh, it's, you know, I don't want to try and add things to the printer, change stuff out, do whatever. It was just, I need, it's a tool to make something else. Um, so I wasn't so much working with the RepRap stuff or really anything else like that. If I had something that worked, that's enough for me. <laughs> um, and then when the pandemic hit, I remember seeing a post on either like Facebook or Reddit, I, I can't remember where exactly, but it was someone in Portland asking for help making face shields for his wife at hospital in Portland. And I'm like, oh, okay, I, I can help with this, but I need more people. So I sent I post post in the Facebook group and you know, I was looking for printers in the area to help print out. And people said, yeah, I'll help out. And I remember on the as I was like packing up all the stuff to drive over and drop it off at their house, Shashi called me. That was the first time we've ever talked. <laughs> While I was dropping off the first order. And you know, we, we've been super close since then working together on this project. And it's been fantastic. I'm so glad I was able to meet Shashi. <laughs> I, I'm sad we didn't meet sooner, though, because it would have been way more fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Um, you know, just to just to add to that, um, you know, if we're if we're thinking about uh, that, you know, how MakerForce came about. Uh, Connor built. Uh, you know, he, he he reached out to the group, and uh, you know, I had been, uh, you know, when you when he when he. When the pandemic hit, I was uh, actually working out of California, even though I'm based in Oregon, and we were sent home from uh, California. They were like, "This thing is bad. You need to pa pack up and just go home." And uh, that was on the 15th of March. So th that was, um, you know, that same day. Uh, you know, people in the group started asking us, "Well, you know, how did? Uh, how, what are we going to do about this? We keep hearing about doctors needing PPE and." uh and things like that and I was, I was like no and we can't make medical devices what are you talking about this is this is not the way the, the world works and then um you know we started um started hearing through my startup network that doctors were actually asking for this and hospital administrators too and we started uh when, when connor and i spoke we learned that you know there was uh, places in europe that were that were making uh, approved uh, 3D printed PPE. So, you know, I put out the call uh, to 3D printing lab, let's do this. And we, we have a, you know, when I said we 3D printed a cow and we 3D printed art things, we did this with a, a system uh, based on Google Sheets to organize all the makers and get them up and running. So I set that up and that's, that's about the time when I called Connor and he had set up a, a GoFundMe and um, we got together and kind of joined forces uh, to, to go and build things uh, and make it uh, make a system that made it dead simple for others to join us. Oh yeah, and that that system that they had already was incredibly helpful. We wouldn't be able to do a fraction of what we did without that system because we only have so many like administrators in the organization to try and you know, process requests coming in and then designate them to different people to print and drop off and all that stuff. Um, that whole sheet kind of automated the system and made it where one person could drop in an order and, you know, hundreds of people could come in, claim them and make the parts. And it, it really, really decreased the administrative load of the organization. So without that, it would have been impossible. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that kind of goes back to the the origins, which I wanted to talk a little bit more about, because when, you know, when this COVID thing uh, came into our lives, uh, I think <laughs> we, we quickly saw people looking at what they could do with their 3D printers, you know, especially once we started to see these shortages of, of PPE. And um, so people, you know, all over started kind of getting involved in that. But your group seems to have been one of the first and uh, able to kind of most rapidly scale up and, and start having an impact. It sounds to me from what you're saying, like a lot of that is because you, you sort of already had this group in place. You already had some of these tools you were able to build on kind of what you already had in, in place. Would you say that's true? Yeah, in a sense. Um, yeah. We, we used the same tools uh, initially on the Google Sheet and then we eventually moved over to Airtable to scale it up even further. 
Hey, Connor, do you remember those days when we had 100, 100 people on the Google Sheet simultaneously? And Google was like, hey, it's too many, too many editors on this thing. You guys. <laughs> I, had, I had no idea you could do that. I didn't know there was a maximum to Google Sheets, but <laughs> apparently you, there's a limit on how many like concurrent users you can have. That's Yeah. I still think that's crazy that we somehow reached the limit like that. <laughs> Yeah, uh, what we learned early on, though, is we needed to uh, we, we needed to be more systematic uh, about the, uh, things, and uh, our makers wanted to focus on making, you know, and uh, we had volunteers who were great at the account management and the fulfillment side of things. So what we ended up creating was, in effect, a pop-up supply chain that. Um, allowed the makers to be laser focused on the things that they do best, laser cutting, mostly 3D printing, also uh, sewn masks. And uh, it, it, we had the practice, yes, you know, making art projects, but there was purpose in doing it, uh, doing PPE. Um, you know, I'll, 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 we had, uh, we, we could tell the stories of our makers all day long. Like uh, there's one, John Light Powell, who is, he's in that danger zone of PP, of, of, of for COVID. And when he was looking for ways to help during the pandemic being set at home, he, he found MakerForce and he started volunteering his 3D printers, much like in you know the days of Enable, that's what was, what was happening, but he couldn't go out you know, frequently. So we, we gave uh, the makers a way to, to make and then drop everything off at a single drop off point and we would take care of everything else. So we'd minimize the, the danger. So, but yeah, it, it really did build on, uh, you know, on the art projects and made it, made it practical. Yeah, we really took advantage of like, you know, beginning of the pandemic when it first hit the US, everyone wanted to help in some way. You know, it doesn't matter who you were across every discipline, everyone wanted to help. And we kind of, we, we act as a way to enable that. You know, if you had a 3D printer, great, print out these parts. If you have a laser, great, cut out these parts. Um, if you want to help out with administration, great, join the group. We've got so many different roles we could have you you fill in and help us organize and, uh, you know, reach out to other organizations and so on. Um, we reached out to different organizations and see if they... Uh, checked if they want to help. You know, we reached out robotics teams, local maker spaces, and said, hey, we need these things. Can you do this for us? And we'd work with them. And it was just incredible to see just how willing people were to help. You know, mm -hmm. everyone wanted to do something and it was just made it so easy. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's not like you're, you're trying to rope people into something that's, you know, back of mind. You know, everyone was thinking about the pandemic. So if you give them a way to help, people jump at it. Yeah, you know, it's very similar to what we've seen with the Enable community, you know, uh, seeing people all over the place wanting to do something to, to help others out. And there's this great technology emerging that's letting us do that in, in new and very powerful ways. And I, I, I love what I'm seeing here. You've got the same situation where you have people wanting to, to do something meaningful. You've got the internet allowing us to connect with each other and collaborate. You've got 3D printing that allows us to rapidly prototype and produce these things. And, and you're bringing in an interesting new element with something like Airtable, which is a very powerful platform that allows you to essentially build pretty robust software without having to do any coding. You know, there's, there's really a powerful combination here of being able to very quickly spin up this new organization and, and uh, workflow that's been able to have a real impact. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Just, just kind of add to that a little bit, the uh, shared information through the internet was extremely helpful. You know, most of our designs weren't designed in the US. You know, we were printing parts designed in the Czech Republic, parts designed in Sweden. You mm -hmm. know, that that open source community of you know, I made this here, everyone use it was just incredible. We had such a a large list of ideas to pull from. And I I think in the beginning we had a whole list of the different things people could have. It got so long that we had to cut it down and narrow it because people were getting confused. Like, oh there's there's like 80 different designs. Mm -hmm. Which one do I want? <laughs> so like that would have would not have been impossible. I mean, I could have probably designed something, but it's hard to push it through all the different administrative testing and certifications and all that kind of stuff. So when one small group was able to do that and then make it available to everyone, that helped the entire world. It was, mm -hmm. it was incredible. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting to see um, just in, in a matter of a week how you know you, you could get a design out there and it would get shared in all the maker communities and then there would be four or five um, upgrades and reshares, and there was just this 
you know, within a week, uh, the makers of the world were just on it and it was just awesome. Um, do you guys have any stories that you can share about some of your recipients, some of the hospitals or the um, healthcare heroes or, or anything um, that you've delivered to? Yeah, she probably has most of those. Um, I'm, I'm over in Vancouver and he's in Portland, so I'm a little ways away. So I spent most of my time just administrating through the computer. Uh, a lot of that he's like, being really humble. Uh, he's head, <laughs> he's our head of R&D. So some of those designs that are being made are being made by him. So you should tell the story of uh, the mask and how that came about, uh, Connor. And then I'll tell a story of, uh, you know, the people who are receiving PPE. Yeah. Um, so I, I, think, I think the mask started when... Shashi, you looked me into an email chain between a few doctors that were trying to find mask alternatives. So at the time, a lot of hospitals didn't have access to N95s and the other um, PPE that they needed. Uh, face shields were easy, you know, a piece of plastic, but a mask is something different entirely, and it's got to be very specific, otherwise it won't work. Um, and they, they tested some of the 3D printed designs people had made. There was the Billings mask, uh, I think another mask called Montana mask, which is mm -hmm. similar, but it's confusing. Um, and they weren't really a fan of them. Uh, the plastic was hard to clean, hard to sterilize. Um, it was semi-porous, so they were worried about uh, air getting through. It was hard to produce a seal. Um, just all these different issues that they weren't super happy you know, about. One thing to add to this is that the designs were often made for men. They were scanned uh, based on scans for men. So the one of the doctors that we had worked with, Lakshmi, uh, she had... Um, uh, she had said she couldn't get a seal on the, you know, uh, because it was uh, designed for a wider face and a wider nose as well. And there were no ways to uh, fix that without individually scanning. So that was one of the reasons why I brought Connor in to that discussion. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that that plastic is, is tough. It's a solid piece of plastic. So without, you know, thermoforming it afterwards, it, it's a very narrow range of people. Um, so I... I kind of talked to them for a little bit, trying to figure out what the problems were, what they need, because I, you know, I'm, I'm a student. I don't really know much about the whole medical discipline. So working with them was perfect. Um, after working with them for a while, I started developing a silicone mask. That's the structure of it was made entirely of silicone that could be cast in a 3D printed mold. Um, so the thought was it's something that could be very quickly. Each mask takes about 20 minutes to make. So it's super quick, faster than 3D printing. Um, it's pretty affordable. I think only a few bucks per mask um, and anyone can make it, you know, anyone can print out the parts and, you know, make their masks. <laughs> um, I had someone out in the Cayman Islands that was printing these and making them for his the pe people on the island because they, they got quarantined there and they weren't able to get shipments in. So it was hard to get PPE because, you know, was, every, the entire world needed it, but he was able to make these masks, which was I still think it's one of the coolest things. I got pictures of my mold sitting on a beach. <laughs> it's just, it's super cool. <laughs> um, really cool. So after working with them for a while, I, I kind of came to, I think I'm on version three now. I think that's what it is. And it's open source design. You can access it on the website, um, which I have one here. So this is this is what it looks like or looks like. And it's just simple silicone. This is something anyone can make. I've got whole tutorials on how to make it. And, and the goal is just try to provide a, you know, a different option. Um, because masks were, were and still are super important. And I wanted to provide something better than just a cloth mask, you know, something that you would use with a patient who has COVID-19. So working with that team, they were able to test it, uh, go through different trials, and they're still in the process of testing it. So it's, I'm really proud of it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing stuff. And how this relates to your question, Jen, is those, those two people who he's working with were our first two recipients. So they... They were, um, I mean, we could talk about recipients all, all day, but uh, the, the very first one that struck me was delivering masks to the Portland VA. And uh, they were um, they were in desperate need of, uh, it was not masks, but uh, face shields. They were in desperate need at that time. And this was, this was maybe in the last week of March where we delivered our first uh, set to them. And, um, it, it took us about a week and a half or so to muster that first 50. And then uh, they they put us in touch with others. And pretty soon we had an order for a thousand in from Legacy Health, individually wrapped masks. And that was our first major operation. 
And we were hearing <laughs> from all these legacy systems, you can't even imagine what it's like, uh, or maybe you can, to, to have doctors and nurses calling you up crying because they are going, they've given away their last PPE and they have nothing. And they're like, well, well can you do something for us now? And, and we're like, yeah, we'll get to it. We'll, we'll do it as fast as we can. And that provided the the motivation. Uh, we would tell these stories in the in the group that uh, here's a doctor when in the in the GoFundMe, uh, a parent call, uh, wrote us and said, my daughter's in Texas, she has no PPE. Here's, uh, I'm gonna put in some, some extra uh, funding. Could you just get her something? And so we, we were like, we, it's not for sale. Just get us the name and we'll, we'll send it out as fast as we can. And uh, there's stories, there's lots of stories like that. You know, I, um, there was a story uh, that was circulating in Intel about Makerforce and one person saw it and she reached out and said, um, my daughter's at the NICU at St. V's, Providence St. V's, which is uh, St. Vincent's, which is a local um, hospital. And she's going in without PPE because they're not, um, they're, they're not critical need. And it's like, these, these are babies, you know, you got people who are caring for babies, you got to protect them. So we were fortunate enough to, um, to be able to fill that gap. And, but we heard this story over and over pharmacists, um, you know, assisted living workers, um, just all of these people who, who had not been uh, prioritized for PPE uh, placing orders with us. So we covered them the best we could. And, uh, you know, I, I think what we're most proud of is being able to serve the underserved communities. Um, you know, for sure, we've been working with a lot of uh, homeless shelters and uh, nursing homes, elderly care, even in the hotspots in New Jersey. You know, we got a call for, from a, a nursing home there, a veterans home, who said that they have they have PPE, they don't have enough, and they're a hot zone. Uh, can can we get us any? Can they can we send anything? Uh, so we were we were in the middle of a shortage of one of the materials. So we called up our um, our partners in, 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 in the area, they supplied a little, we supplied a little, and, uh, we, we were able to, uh, get them what they needed. But, um, yeah, I mean, th there is, there is a sense of desperation, uh, and, you know, a very palpable sense of danger in, in, in all of this, you know? Um, so, yeah. yeah, it was something yeah. that just kept driving us, you know, it's, I, I, kind of said jokingly to Shashi that it's, you know, we're not making teddy bears, we're making medical devices to help like save people's lives. Yeah, so I mean, we said this to our makers, like for you keep making because every every device, everything you put that, I mean, you can use your hobby to protect a person. Every one of these things is a person protected. So keep, keep them going. Absolutely, yeah, just that, that idea that if I, don't make this one thing and get it out. Then that's one person out there who's left unprotected. At the time, we didn't know how dangerous COVID was, and you know what, what, what the risks were. We just know that these, you know, these heroes were going to work every day and dealing with people exclusively who had COVID nineteen and putting their lives at risk. And like, you know, I'm, I'm stuck here in my comfy house and I'm not going out. I don't have to go out, you know. So like, whatever I could do to help them, I will. <laughs> yeah. And like you said, I mean, each one piece of PPE that you make can, can help to save a life. But that kind of leads into the next question I have, which is, I mean, there are some costs associated with this. There's materials that go into this. And especially when, like you guys were talking about thousands and thousands of pieces of PPE, those costs add up. How have you guys handled that? How have you handled, uh, I don't know, fundraising or, you know, funding this, this uh, important effort? Connor, you want to talk about the GoFundMe and I'll talk about in-kind donations. Yeah, yeah. So the GoFundMe started early on. I can't remember exactly. I think it was a few days after we actually started delivering PPE. Um, so it's like, oh, wait, we're not going to be able to afford this. <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, and that was extremely helpful. I think, Shashi, are we up to 14,000 now? Yeah, a little over 15,000. Yeah, we, we put out the call in our networks for funding. And we read write about what specifically things uh, the funding would be used for. 
Um, largely, uh, that's turned into shipping for the PPE. Uh, when a request comes in on the website, it's uh, we don't ask for funding. It's completely free. Um, uh, you're, you're right, though. Materials do cost. Um, filament for 3D printers, uh, clear plastic for shields, even elastics. Uh, they they all they all add up. So we have a few funding sources primarily. GoFundMe, GoFundMe is one. The in-kind uh, part is through donations. And we've, we've asked for uh, elastic donations before uh, and the community responded, oh my God, in a time when uh, people crazy. were making the, um, you know, the, the sewn masks and they were, you know, Joanne was out of all of the uh, elastics that you could think of. Some of the thicker ones we were able to use and uh, we, we received, community donations. I can't, I think we can measure it in kilograms. I think there was like 12 mm -hmm. to 15 kilograms of uh, elastic and that's a lot of elastic. For, oh, yeah, it was crazy <laughs> to see it. <laughs> we literally just recently ran out of that. Um, and then for, we found um, uh, through a source on the East Coast, uh, a place to get uh, really inexpensive elastic. So we bought as much as we could of that. Um, for filament, our makers donated very generously out of their own stashes and stockpiles. Um, there was a time when we didn't have anything to give them and they they just kept producing parts. It, it didn't matter that they were donating out of their own. Uh, we estimate that five, you know, maybe five spools of filament per maker, um, partial spools, uh, were, were, were just donated like that. And then well, maybe, okay. go ahead. The thing too with that is everyone who 3D prints and is pretty, pre-printing for a while has like a half empty spool somewhere that they don't use. So this mm -hmm. gave them a way to just use up that material laying around it. It was kind of nice to just clear out all those almost finished spools, but still enough sure. left. Yeah. So we'd get yeah. a few parts in that were like four different colors because it was like the ends of four spools. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in those early days uh, when we weren't sure, um, you know, when retail businesses would be open again, uh, Protoplant uh, actually went back to work and uh, made protopasta for us, um, you know, and as, in, to our specifications. And we got uh, almost 40 kilograms of that and distributed out. It took maybe two weeks to distribute all that out. Uh, so we also got donations from other groups of filament, of um, visor material, which is the clear part. Um, the, the, the visor material stuff is, is the stuff of legends. I'm, I'm telling you, this is, we got <laughs> donations from Coca-Cola. <laughs> So they heard that we were doing this and they were like, can you use this plastic? And it's, it's the same material that Coke bottles are made out of the plastic ones. We're like, yeah, absolutely we could. A week later, like a thousand pound roll of this stuff is in our maker space <laughs> and we're cutting it up and we're sending it all over the Northwest. And it, I mean, this was uh, an introduction made by the open source medical supplies group, which has been amazing partners. But that's good. I mean, every time we have a, a corporate sponsor or partner like this, this is what happens. You need this, no problem. We'll get it out to you. Joshua, really quick, to, just to put that role in perspective, that role was about as tall as I am. So just a hair below six foot and as wide as it was tall. The, it was yeah. giant. It was crazy. <laughs> but yeah. I first saw it. And we're like, still we, going through it. We're going to use all that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. And so how, uh, the only thing I'm wondering about is how you guys have gone about connecting with the people most in need for the PPE. Was it mostly about sort of setting up a website and getting the word out and having people come to you? Or were you doing some kind of active outreach or how, how, how has that connection happened? Part of that was just good media coverage. You know, you say we're a group of 3D printers that are making PPE for hospitals and everyone wants to do a story on. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I think we had, 20 something like video news stories that were done on it. So that helped a lot for helping raise funds and make people aware that, hey, we exist. If you need help, let us know and we can help you. We, we had a, a website early on so people could go and request and uh, that helped a lot because we word would kind of spread. It was easy to share. And then those who needed help just had to reach out, you know, fill out a small yeah. form on the website and we'll reach out and help out where we can. Yeah, uh, just to build on that, uh, when they reached out, instead of finding just a, a, a Google form, they, they saw a full catalog of pre-vetted parts and who had done the vetting. So 
that also um, there's there's an assurance that uh, people got from uh, seeing that we had uh, we're giving them things that they could rely on. Um, you know, certainly media coverage. Uh, we had partner organizations like OSMS and GetUsPPE.org uh, that have been, uh, you know, crucially helpful, particularly finding smaller groups that have been overlooked. GetUsPPE um, just funneled people into our system uh, regionally. And these are people who would ask us for, can I have six face shields to cover my, uh, you know, just my staff? We're like, well, are you asking for enough? You know, do you have, don't you need some spares? And they're like, well, we didn't want to get greedy. It's like, no, you ask for as much as you need and then ask for spares on top of that. And then we'll, we'll pack a few away even on top of that, you know, just to make sure that they're covered. The big orders came in through um, actually my startup network. The, uh, you know, legacy was able to connect through um, Portland State University uh, through Juan Barraza, who's been a great partner to us. And some of the other big orders are coming in through um, another partner organization in New York called Makers for COVID-19. Uh, just to give you a sense of our partnerships, uh, we were able to, uh, we've been primarily in, the, in these later days serving Navajo Nation and other uh, native um, uh, groups. So when we first started serving Navajo Nation, they, we sent 3000 pieces with partners to uh, um, Arizona. And the question came up is like, well, if we can serve Navajo, why can't we serve our Pacific Northwest uh, tribes and, and communities? And we were like, well, we just don't have a connection. So we partnered with a group called ACES, which is an engineering society for indigenous tribes. And Connor had partnered with a group in, um, in the Seattle area, which had switched from 3D printing to injection molding. And uh, you know we had we came together to supply uh, 500 pieces to 46 uh, Idaho, Oregon, and Washington uh, health centers for the, for the tribes. So 23,000 pieces went out to uh, to these tribes in the Northwest through these partnerships. And I mean that that's just uh, just by seeing you know how organized we were and you know how we were focused on getting things done. I think uh, we were able to. You know, make these partnerships happen. Yeah, I think um, because I am one of the co-founders of Enable, um, when the pandemic first started and um, people saw that makers were make, were 3D printing PPE, they just automatically assumed that was Enable doing that, or at least my friends and family did, and and people who have been part of um, Enable. Um, so when when people would would message me, I was sending them to you guys. And then I was also sending them to um, Eric Bubar and Enable DC, um, trying to split the, the need between you two. Um, I think for the first three or four weeks of, you know, this pandemic is really serious. Um, you know, I had, I had people who, like, like my daughter, for example, was working at as a um, clerk at the grocery store and people weren't, were worried about the medical professionals, but they were um, also starting to realize that, you know, our essential workers, you know, the 20 year olds, the, you know, the, that are working at the gas stations, all the places that couldn't close down because we needed them, um, were going to need PPE. So I was getting requests for, um, you know, I just need one for my daughter. I need one for my, sister-in-law she works here or there so I I um I did a couple of stories on the Enable website and kind of tried to blast it out to you guys and hopefully um you were able to help whoever was um coming to you for that um as being in Enable I know for a fact that being um one of the makers um of 3D printed hands impacts the the volunteers um do you have any stories from your makers and um what their experience has been has it has it been like a full-time volunteer job for some of them um what are they what are they feeling and doing right now 
Yeah, um, I could talk about um, you know some of our makers. Um, uh, you know, we had um, let's let's say two types of makers. Um, we had the ones that were helping us build the systems and the types that were actually building the PPE. Uh, so Nick DeVore, who's actually one of the attendees here, just smiling when I saw him, uh, he was one of our earliest makers that um, he, 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 had, he had some 3D printers, he saw what we were doing, he got involved right away, and then he eventually, um, uh, in addition to making PPE, uh, joined us to uh, help organize our volunteers. And uh, this when he has three young kids under the age of four, uh, you know, and he's uh, and he's still doing this um, this this amazing work. Um, and then uh, you know when we were putting together um, the the shipping aspect of, of Maker Force, no one ever really thinks about how do you deliver this kind of PPE out there. Well, we have an intake system where to to organize orders. We have a production system to distribute across 350 makers with 600 3D printers. Then how do you ship them? Well, we have a fulfillment system also. So orders come in, we have a, a system tr to track them, QA them. That's one guy who created this entire system uh, and has been executing it uh, for thousands of pieces of PPE. And we kind of, he was making uh, PPE. I knew him because he was the only other person using three millimeter filament besides me <laughs> in, in this thing. So we, I had it all hoarded at my house and we would, you know, grouse about, oh my God, you know, are we dinosaurs or something, you know, using three millimeter? <laughs> but we made a whole lot of PPE with three millimeter, I will say. Um, and then he, uh, it turns out he's a an executive in the tech industry and he he knows how to set up these types of systems so um he's able to bring the best parts of him, uh, himself uh, and set that up with us um you know we've had uh, other makers that joined us there was one that she, I, give him yeah. a shout out what, what, what's that get him a shout out give a shout out to oh to don hansen yeah, yeah. don hansen <laughs> our, is our um is our performance our and Mark Gibbs, who is the head of Brainwave PC, he's the um, that's he's running our drop sites. So he he made his retail stores available for us to do uh, fulfillment. Amazing people that are doing this, you know, uh, that come in and they bring in little pieces that we didn't that may not seem important, but that bring together a whole that removes friction friction from the entire system. Yeah, um, there's you, a lot of moving pieces uh, and. That actually ties into a, a, a question we have from the audience here, which I'll just, I'll just throw in if you don't mind. Um, one of our attendees says, uh, thank you for your work. This is so interesting. How do you do the distribution? So you've mentioned some shipping that you do. Does everything get shipped out or do you have some people coming to pick things up? How, how have you handled getting these PPE orders out to the people that need them? That's a fantastic question. Um, so, as I mentioned, we have a pop-up supply chain. So we have order tracking from inception of the order to production to uh, fulfillment. And uh, depending on if the the group is local, and we started hyper-local, you know, can we help in the Portland area, then the metro area, then all of Oregon, then all of Oregon and Washington? Um, anyone who's willing to drive up and receive their order, uh, they can pick it up from our uh, from brainwave computers or we actually have a physical location that was donated to us that we we just call hq it's literally three doors down from um, one of the drop sites at brainwave computers so they can come to hq and see how you know things are fulfilled um, so uh, mostly we've shifted to a shipping model uh, because uh, it, it's a it's quite um, labor intensive believe it or not to have people come pick up the, the parts because we have to have um, a place that's open all the time and we have to match and make sure that they're getting the right parts and so on and so forth. Uh, and Connor uh, introduced us to Go Shippo uh, or Shippo, which is a, um, a way of uh, you know making shipping labels uh, easily and quickly. And that streamlined uh, our process quite a bit. Um, but we have um, a person, uh, you know, managing the orders from um, assembly, shipment, or delivery, uh, and then on the back end, our account managers come back and you know, uh, make sure that the recipient is happy. 
Teco Shippo uh, system is really nice for stuff like what we're doing because most people who have shipped something before, um, they you know they go to the post office, they say I've got a box, this is the address, this is where it's going, they weigh it, you pay it, and it's there's a whole process, right? And which is fine if you're only shipping one or two things, but when you're shipping multiples a day like we were, that's hard and <laughs> it becomes quite a hassle, especially when you're trying to social distance. You know you don't want to have to go to a place to do that. Um, so what GoShipo does is it actually just takes your there's whatever system you're using. So like we were using Airtable and we can just directly output from Airtable into GoShipo. It does it automatically every time a new order comes in. And then you just hit print and it prints out your 40 or whatever labels you need, slap them on and you're you're done. <laughs> so it made that whole fulfillment process way, way easier. It made something where it would have taken you hours to just a couple minutes. And it made it a lot easier for Don because he was already overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah. Right. Imagine that 2,000 pieces of PPE that we just shipped it took 16 boxes uh, to ship in the vault, all various sizes. And yeah, we were able to do that, uh, get that all together once we had all the pieces in about a day and a half. Hmm. Hmm. So some of this stuff that you're making, face shields, uh, yeah, ear saver straps, things like that, pretty straightforward. Um, but then you get into things like Connor, you were talking about making masks, which can, you know, there's a lot more involved in that. Like you said, it needs to have the right fit, needs to have the right filter. It needs, there's a lot of considerations that go into that. How have you handled uh, validation and testing when you get into some of those more advanced types of PPE? So for a lot of the more advanced types of PPE, we always try to run them through medical professionals first. So you know, the, the face shields, the masks, all that kind of stuff. We, we'd send out to the, the various people that we had contact with at different hospitals, mm -hmm. um, get them samples, get their feedback. A lot of them, sometimes they say like, absolutely not, don't use this one, or yeah, this could work for this. Um, the other thing as well that also helped kind of buffer us from saying this is the one to use is by having that catalog. You know, we've got these designs, this is where they come from, this is who they're designed, this is how, who they're verified by and you get to pick which one you want and if that will work for you. And mm -hmm. you just tell us to make it and we'll make it. Um, so it's not so much us backing that design as it is like, here's all the information you need. We're not medical professionals, but you are. So let us know which, what we can do and, and how to help you. Let me give you a quick example of that. Uh, so uh, when doctor's offices, dentist offices were opening back up, uh, we had dentists uh, reaching out saying that they needed PPE, but we found out very quickly that their loops and their magnifying glasses wouldn't fit behind the, uh, the Prusa RC3 design. So we had uh, three dentists come in and with their equipment on, and we took measurements, we sat down with them and worked back and forth and um, came up with a design that would allow them to clip their loop on the top uh, and and while still uh, balancing and not not having it fall forward onto their face, um, and that was like two or three iterations. And then um, once they were happy, we put their names, if they would allow, or their the name of their practice as um, you know the person or the the group that uh, approved of those, and that was usually enough for. Um, you know, for, for the people who were ordering. In other cases, they wanted to see like a government body or another research hospital, such as uh, Oregon Health Sciences University, for example. Uh, but um, there was always a validation step because if we didn't, if we didn't do that, it, we didn't put that in the catalog. Yeah, absolutely. Well, now that it's been uh, about six months into this pandemic, um, has the need slowed or changed or are people asking for different things or replacements or how is that going? So the, yeah. the need was definitely weird. It, I personally only expected to go on for two weeks. You know, like, oh, it, it's weird that hit the US and it's not gonna be that problem for that long. We'll spin up and they'll, they'll get it in a few weeks. We'll be fine. And it just drug on for months. <laughs> it just kept going and kind of the, the bringing up the, the dentists, you know, when this all first started, a lot of the dentists donated all the PPE they had because there was a shortage and, you know, they, they were closed. So they donated those to healthcare professionals. But then months later, there's still a shortage and they, they can't get PPE when they're starting to slowly reopen. So, you know, that's one of the reasons we reached out to them and started helping out. And that, I think no one really expected it to be that drawn out. Um, so it was something where it changed to kind of a sprint to a, a long haul. Yeah. 
And to build on that, uh, uh, the, the demand is there, but it's shifting towards communities that are uh, ever increasingly underserved. Uh, our last uh, few orders are gonna be going to Navajo Nation, for example. Um, we noticed in the, in the past month or so that uh, the pace of orders was slowing down and that the size was also slowing down as well. So presumably the supply chain is caught up and that's one of the core foundations of maker force is that we're an emergency organization, you know, by makers and manufacturers to uh, supply equipment in the middle of uh, a pandemic or another emergency. And so what we've decided um, is, you know, we're, we're going to slow down and uh, we're gonna pause production for wave one of the pandemic and then give our, um, largely to give our makers a rest, but also so that we can um, slow down and document our processes and get ready for the next wave. We haven't shut down any of our ordering systems. So if, if PPE is needed, we know how to spin it up and, and, and get it going again. If we start seeing that trend spike upwards, we can reactivate our network and they'll be refreshed and ready to go next time. So we're, we're hoping we're not needed, knock on wood, but if the if we are, then we know how to spin up really quickly. And as, as far as reorders go and parts for this, the really nice thing about most of our designs is that they're meant to be reusable. So, for some hospitals, would have a, a single use space shield that you know they have to go through so many hundreds a day. With the ones we made, they just have to sterilize them, and then they get reused over and over and over. And it's something where you send out five hundred to whatever hospital, and they they will have 500 for months, which is incredible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that innovation was kind of interesting to see. That's not something that most hospitals or any medical discipline do. You know, almost everything's single use. So seeing the innovation on that front was also really cool to see happen. Yeah, that's really awesome. Um, as of today, how many volunteers um, do you have and how much PPE have you made? All right, so I'm going to look into our volunteer roster and I will give you an exact number. So we have on record uh, 450 volunteers and that's, that spans 3D printers, that spans uh, sewers, laser cutters, and general volunteers. Uh, we estimated there was some 350 people 3D printing, more than 600 3D printers. And um, in some total, we've uh, produced or have been responsible for about 66,000 pieces of PPE. Yeah. Um, and I'll, when I say that we're an emergency response organization for makers and manufacturers, that includes not only the 3D printed part, but you know, those of, who've also gone to more mass manufacturing techniques as well, because we realize that we're this bridge you know, to the, the supply chain. So, about 30,000 pieces we 3D printed, 3,000 masks, um, and that's gonna be, uh, the 3D printed parts are actually face shields, and there's gonna be a little bit more once we ship this final order. 10,000 pieces of single-use face shields were made by Boston Scientific and donated to our group, and then we've distributed them to those who are in the most severe need. Most of those have been going to Navajo Nation now. And then uh, again, through partnership, we we got those 23,000 reusable shields uh, via our partner, Northwest. Connor, can we can we talk about who they are? Uh, yeah, we should be good too. Um, you got the you, you got the name, and we can give a, a shout, shout out to them too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a, a Facebook group I connected to. One of our our volunteers. The Washington Space Shield Hub, I think it is. Yeah, yeah, Washington Face Shield Hub. Uh, they're a group based out of the Seattle area. And a lot of their members have, you know, roots in tech. So they were able to reach out to some of the companies in that area and get help. So like one of the big ones they were able to reach out to was Amazon and take advantage of the Amazon supply chain. And, you know, that's that's been incredible. And I, I think even now you can go buy those face shields from Amazon and Amazon's selling them at cost. They're not a profit, nothing like that. Um, and they're using you know, the full supply chain that they have. They, they're injection molded, die cut, uh, they're using their same elastic supplies. So that was really cool to see because you get something that's really high quality. You know, it was fully NIH approved. I, I talked to some of the engineers behind that and they're just, they're, they're incredible people. I'm, I'm 
super glad I was able to meet them. Um, so seeing like people like that come out of the woodwork was just is so cool. <laughs> yeah, that's that's another thing I find really uh, nice about this is that you guys. It sounds like you were able to rapidly spin up this this organization and the whole infrastructure behind it, the supply chain management uh, workflow, and 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 other companies that maybe had a surplus of some PPE or had the ability to produce it. It sounds like they were able to leverage your infrastructure then and, and leverage your distribution capabilities to get that into the hands of the people that needed it, which is another really interesting side effect of the organization you built. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I did see on your Facebook page, Shashi, that um, you guys, um, now that the PPE uh, demand has slowed a little bit, I saw some photos of some of your makers holding giant 3D printed brains. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, that goes to that earlier question you said about what are the interesting things we're making. Mm -hmm. uh, so despite all of the things that are happening during the pandemic, teachers are still teaching. And, um, you know, we've, uh, we're partnered in the Portland 3D printing lab with a group called Northwest Noggin. And, um, in non-pandemic times, they were teaching kids neuroscience by making them touch actual brains, like squishy brains. So I, when I got involved with them, I thought what they were doing was cool, but I didn't want to have anything to do with touching brains. So I was like, <laughs> I can make MRI scans and we can 3D print them for you. You know, how about that? And it turns out they really love that. So uh, this group uh, is doing outreach to the Celebs tribe here in the in the Portland area, and uh, they're helping. Um, tribal teachers teach neuroscience in a culturally sensitive way but they needed models for brains so they needed some 20 of them um, and what we learned is uh, that these prints are hideously complex because they're taking MRI data and then stacking them back up and then it took these these were like 48 hour prints so quickly some of our makers figured out how to do that in half the time by slicing the brain in half and then rejoining it. And we were making these models that were going to teachers that now when they say, um, you know, this, this particular thing happens in this part, part of the brain, they can actually point to it. And the, and the students that when they return to school can actually hold and touch that model. So uh, we put out the call that we needed this in the middle of, a, of us doing PPE uh, printing and uh, we just said, we have, we have the filament here, you can, if you can do it. And they rose to the occasion again. I mean, imagine there are people who have already run 12 kilograms of filament through their printers making PPE, picking up another seven to do, uh, to do brains just so that these kids have um, disadvantage uh, and that they're, they're, they can get access to neuroscience of this technology that they would otherwise not have. So I'm really proud of that, uh, really proud of the group for being able to do that. We delivered those brains, um, 22 actually, I, because two extra done in rainbow filament just because we could, you know, and that again was Nick DeVore who, who did that. Um, and uh, Kyle Kirsch who, who did so many of the, those brains. It's so, so cool. Uh, but those are the kinds of projects that we get involved with um, in the community. Nice. Awesome. So what, what do you see for this group MakerForce going forward? Obviously, you'll continue to meet the, uh, the need for PPE. Uh, let's hope that dies down and that the supply chains do catch up. What do you see happening then? Do you, do you think you'll branch out into other areas? What are your plans for the group longer term? I can say uh, in the short term, Connor and I have filed to make this a 501c3 nonprofit. Uh, that thankfully has uh, gone in and been filed with the government. And once that happens, um, we'll be able to engage more corporations and get more, more volunteering done. You know, we've talked about three or four different things uh, that we could do here. Uh, first of all, is strengthen the supply chain and the system that we've, that we've built and connect it to the response organizations, you know, with local governments here in the Pacific Northwest. So if this is ever needed again, whether it be pandemic, whether it be earthquake or other type of natural disaster response, or even wildfires. I mean, they had, there's wildfires here on top of the pandemic um, that we are able to uh, assist in some way. 
you know, certainly teaching others how this, um, how to do this and build their communities and build these pop-up supply chains is, is important as well. Uh, and Connor, maybe if you'd like to talk about the R&D portion and, you know, creating new things, that would be, that would be really cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think part of it is, you know, taking the resources that we have and the knowledge we have from, you know, printing on mass like this and creating designs that can help people and that are, you know, optimized for 3D printing. Because like you, no matter what college you go to, no one's really going to teach you how to design for FTM 3D printing. You know, it takes a hobbyist to do that. Um, and once you have the right kind of geometry, it's really, really easy to print. You know, you can run thousands of them through a printer without any issues. Um, so finding needs and finding places that, you know, a standard FTM printer can help and then making those designs available to the public just open up so many opportunities. And I think that's something that we, we definitely learned during the pandemic and want to continue working on in the future, you know, create those open source designs. Um, one of the things I don't think Shashi hit on is that I also, I, I and a few other people have been thinking about uh, taking MakerForce and kind of acting as like a, a manufacturer for nonprofits and for other projects. Mm -hmm. So, you know, say there's a project that creates a small hydroelectric generator, right? And they, they don't have the funding to injection mold it or do the standard mass manufacturing techniques, but they can reach out to us and we can 3D print them. We can 3D print them much cheaper. And, you know, they, they can have access to a, a full mass manufacturing without the startup cost. So mm. we could, so, uh, we should be able to help out a lot of really incredible movements and nonprofits through that because we have the experience now. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, we're about out of time here, but it's been a great conversation. I really appreciate both of you, Shashi and Connor, joining us. It's, uh, it's been really a pleasure to have you. Uh, for the folks listening that want to learn more or get involved, where can they go to find more about MakerForce? Uh, it's very simple. Um, if you're interested in uh, finding out about MakerForce, if you're interested in volunteering, if you, and uh, especially if you need PPE, uh, you can go to makerforce.org. Uh, that's uh, our uh, our landing page, and you can find information there. You can also join us on uh, the Makerforce uh, Facebook group and uh, page, and reach out to us as well. Uh, and we're at, we're Makerforce pretty much on every social media channel too. Excellent, excellent. And uh, as always, I want to invite our audience to visit uh, our site at 3duniverse.org. Just click on the 3D Universe Untethered image in the upper left, and that'll take you to a page where you can see the recordings of past episodes as well as register for upcoming episodes. We've got a lot of other great episodes planned, so uh, check back often to uh, join us for those. Again, thanks, guys, for joining us. It's been a lot of fun. That's good. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.